I'm delighted again to um, come up here and do like I did two weeks ago and start out with news of baptisms. Um, it's, it's good stuff, and I'm really glad that this is happening among us. What I would tell you is uh, one baptism, a baptism that was and a baptism that will be. Um, uh, one of our college students, uh, Kamsey Sheets, she's not here today, but she was baptized um, this week. Um, and so she is someone that our students and our campus ministers have reached out to. So Kamsey Sheets was baptized this week, and for this we're very glad. There was a lot of rejoicing. You know, I was, I was down in uh, Aggie territory this, uh, this last weekend, and I, I don't want to tell you what they do at the A&M church when there's a baptism. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. So anyway, the... Um, uh, they do the Aggie cheer, so it's, they think it's unbiblical if you don't do it that way. The <laughs> baptism I want to tell you about is uh, Tammy, Tammy Seifert. She, she's actually announced this, that anybody who wants to come by today at 4 o'clock right here, she will be baptized today. And I want you to know that these decisions uh, that people are making to be baptized, um, some of it is coming because of the Celebrate Recovery program uh, some of it is coming because of the Lions for Christ or because of the youth ministry or because of Bible studies. But I want you to know this. Every baptism comes about because someone hears the good news that was proclaimed, that has been proclaimed since the day of Pentecost. And it's because they uh, have owned that good news as their own, just like many of you have. And it's on that good news that we take our stand. That's where we put the full weight of our faith, in his good news, the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, make us very aware of the significance and the importance of your son, Jesus Christ, who came not to live a life to serve himself, but came to serve others and to be obedient to you. And, Father, he remained faithful even though that obedience took him to the cross, to the shame and the pain and the scandal of the cross. Father, you, you triumphed over death and you triumphed over sin and the works of the devil by raising him from the grave on the third day. And, Father, he is exalted. He is our king. And for this, we give you all of our thanks, but we also ascribe to you all honor and glory, recognizing Jesus as our one true king. And Father, we ask that you would uh, give us again that sense of awe and that sense of conviction, knowing that this truth changes everything. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus uh, must be king. Because there are things that he says that sometimes it makes you wonder if Jesus is really saying this. And, 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 I, and I think that sometimes we want to sanitize Jesus. We want to clean him up. Uh, we want to make him a little dainty sometimes, let's be honest. Uh, even if we don't want to, some people do. And I think we've got to really listen to him and hear what he has to say. I'm going to tell you, this is a text that I don't know that 
I've ever preached a sermon on this text. I know, I don't know, I've probably heard one and can't remember it. But this one just isn't very popular, and I, I think you'll see why very quickly. Uh, Jesus tells a short parable here in the midst of his conversation. Uh, he says, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. Ooh. I mean, that's, that's like, really? Yeah, really. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Well, Jesus just lost the, uh, uh, the popularity awards on, uh, on, you know, on manners and everything politically correct and whatever you want to call it or think of it as. This is one of those things, again, where, uh, you know, Peter likes to be Jesus' PR firm and say, you know, I'm not so sure you should be saying stuff like this. But there's no argument from Peter on this one. Uh, it just strikes us and our sensibilities a little off. Because the first thing we have to come to grips with is this question. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? That's a stretch for most of us. To have a servant. To, to, to even, maybe we've, maybe we've been in the servant role. You know, I've had meals with people who actually have paid servants and it's awkward. I'm just going to say it. It's awkward. I mean, I'm, I'm wanting to stand up and help them and say, oh, no, here, you shouldn't have to do that. No, no, let them do it. That's what we pay them for. That just makes it worse. You know? It just somehow it doesn't sit well with our uh, kind of simple uh, middle, middle class uh, American values. Um, and then furthermore, it's like Jesus is saying, look, when we have this arrangement, I mean, we don't... All the little manners and niceties go out the window. You know, does he say, come in and eat with me? No. The servant it comes in from work, uh, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat, and then you can eat later. Now, I'm going to tell you right now one thing that this, this text is not anything that any of you, none of you, should ever use for marital counseling. If you do, not only will you be in a lot of trouble... You are going to hell. Okay, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's wrong. All right. This is about masters and servants. It's an arrangement that we can't even fathom in our culture very well. Uh, we think we come close to it. I was going to ask uh, Jim, I see Don here, Don's back. You know, they, they know this. Any of you have been to Ethiopia with the Wilsons? I, the first trip that I went on, I was, we were in the hotel and we we're in the lobby and, and I said, you know, I, I could really go for a, a Coca-Cola right about now. They said, well, you have to get the waiter's attention and you do this. I was like, I can't do that. No, I, I can't. That, that, no. This, you got to do it. It's, it's the way, it's, it's how that, I'm like, that is just, you know, I mean, can I, do I got a little bell or a flag or something, you know, I mean, can I just kind of wave? Or, no, no you, otherwise they're not going to know what you're talking about. And it is awkward. And it does probably have some roots and some things that I'd rather not think about. But 
this is the culture that the people that are listening to Jesus would understand. They would get this. They would know this. Yeah, that's how it's done. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question. Jesus knows the answer. No. We just, you, you say to the servant, you serve me. That's your job. And then you can eat later. And then here's the kicker. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? You want Jesus to say, you really ought to say thank you. I mean, we have gone to links to teach our kids to say thank you. And now here's Jesus saying, no, you don't even say thank you. Why? It's a servant. You know, you don't do that. You're just doing what you're told to do. In fact, it's kind of underlined. Does he thank the servant? No, of course not. But here's what the parable is about. The parable is not about our relationship with people who serve us. It's not even about our relationship with others that we might serve. It's about our relationship with Christ himself. And that in that relationship with Jesus, we don't do things for Jesus so that he'll say, oh, thank you. We don't do things for Jesus to make sure that he still loves us. I think sometimes we do uh, acts of worship or maybe we continue in in our obedience And it's like we want to send cards to Jesus that say, do you still love me? Check one, yes or no. Jesus says the way we ought to approach this is to simply say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Oh, now that might be tough. To say that we are unworthy servants does not mean that we are putting ourselves down. It's not low self-esteem. It means that as servants, we are not somehow worthy in what we're doing of some sort of special honor. And and, and by the way, it it kind of puts a new light on what we might call service awards. That if every time we do service, we have to get a medal or we have to get attention. And I'm not, I'm all for recognizing people. I'm all for it. I told a story last week at Lake Jackson about... um, one of the sisters who's passed away, her name was Tressie. Tressie was, um, <clears throat> she was sort of a, she did Lake Jackson's version of the, of the Hope Chest. And, uh, you know, and, and did all the things that Hope Chest does. And the thing is with Tressie, you never, ever, ever recognized her for doing that. She did not want you to. I made the mistake one Sunday of mentioning you know, in a sermon just like this, I was like, yeah, hey, isn't it wonderful? I saw what she did this week, and I just wanted to commend her. I came to my office the next day, and there was a rubber snake on my desk. And she said, if you do that again, it'll be a real one. I was like, I get it. She did not want any recognition for what she was doing. That's how imp- and, and, in fact, during the, the weekend, uh, those who knew her best said she would hate the fact that we've even recognized her even now. And uh, it's true. The point of being an unworthy servant means we don't deserve to be servants. We don't deserve special recognition as a servant. That's just who we are to Christ, and we're just simply doing our job. <clears throat> this phrase was a particular favorite of a fellow who, uh, he was born into this world. His name was Henry Nichols, but he was known as Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence was a monk in the 17th century. That's, uh, you know, right around, throughout the 1600s. And uh, he's got an interesting story in that um, he's often quoted 
often remembered. He impressed many, but he wrote nothing that was published in his lifetime. And in fact, most of what we know about Brother Lawrence came from, um, in this picture, this would be Brother Lawrence over here. See, he's got a little halo. And he's over here, and what does it look like he's doing? He's doing the dishes. He's, doing the, he's, he's working in the kitchen. And, and all the learned scholars and the leaders are all coming to Brother Lawrence saying, hey, we've heard that you know, you've got some wisdom, and we'd like to hear some of that. And Brother Lawrence would often say, I'm just an unworthy servant doing my job. And later, after his death, they found uh, some of his writings, and, and during his life, uh, the, uh, the leader of the monastery would collect some of his sayings. Brother Lawrence looked at it, things this way. He said, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules, and they set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? He's saying, why do we have to go through some sort of you know, special, special motions and special uh, uh, activities? Or why do we have to get into a particular state of mind or state of consciousness just to commune with God? Shouldn't we be able to do the things that we do every day? Out of love for God, out of love for Christ. Now, depending on what you're doing every day, that can get rather challenging. And it's, and it's certainly, I don't think we can do that if we're engaged in sinful activity, because that definitely does not show love to Christ. But what about the mundane things? What about mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, doing taxes? What about all those things? What about your everyday job, whatever it is? Whether you, uh, you, know, whether you uh, program computers or drive a truck or whether you uh, uh, teach children or whether you teach adults or, or whether you uh, uh, do math and do engineering or wait around for emergencies. I mean, whatever it is you do, is there a way that you can go about your daily business and in that, Find communion with God. Brother Lawrence says there is. And he says the way we do it is we are simply going to be obedient. See, he got the job at the monastery that uh, he didn't really want, working in the kitchen. But he said, you know what? As long as <clears throat> I've got this job, I guess it's the job that God wants me to have. So every time I, uh, you know, flip over a pancake, every time I, uh, you know, chop onions, I'm doing that out of love for God. And somebody's going to eat this food, and that's going to be good enough, and I'm just going to do everything I do. And if I'm done ahead of time, and I have nothing to do, then I'll just worship God. This was Brother Lawrence's approach, and I think everyone, especially in the 17th century, found it so unique. <clears throat> Obedience <clears throat> is the way of practicing God's presence right around us all the time. And here's what I want us to take away from this. If you have a choice... And you will have a choice, and you do have a choice. If you have a choice as a Christian, as a believer, as a church leader, as one who influences others, if you have a choice between, on the one hand, being clever or innovative or maybe risky and adventurous, or you have a choice of being obedient, I'm going to tell you, the right choice is always being obedient. 
Choose this. Now, let me tell you what that means and what it doesn't mean. Um, We can, for lots of good reasons, decide that we need to be clever, innovative, adventurous, take a risk. I mean, it happens all the time. Even when we're challenging people, it's like, you need to share the gospel this week. How many people are you going to share the gospel with? Uh, Two. No, you can do better than that. Four. Oh, no, come on. You know, dig deep, dig deep. Eight. Yeah. How about a dozen? I'm going for a dozen. Well, I'm going to outdo you. And then it becomes sort of a a weightlifting contest of evangelism. And, And we've done that because we've decided that we need to dig deep and be adventurous and just work harder. But have we really been obedient to God? I mean, maybe God just wants us to talk to the one person who's right there in front of us, the person that we know day in, day out, maybe the person that lives in our home with us. Maybe he doesn't even want us to talk. Maybe he wants us to show the gospel and then find the opportunity to speak when he gives it to us. Sometimes we're, we're, we're always burdened. And, and let me say this. Not everyone who's innovative is, is trying to be innovative just to be kind of crazy. Like, you know, oh, yeah, you know what we need to do here next week? We need to get lasers, and we'll give all of you, you know, neon uh, uh, glow sticks and everything, and we'll have a rave for Jesus. Great, great, yeah, okay. But that'll really bring them in. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, everything that's, that's, that's been done over the ages has been in some ways some sort of innovative little thing. I mean, look at this. You're, you're, you're sitting here and you're looking at the notes, and I've, I've created this display for you so that you can understand because you're visual people, because you live in a visual world. This was an innovation. In my lifetime, this was an innovation. Sometimes when we put our faith in the... The innovations are good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. But when we put our faith in the innovations and we believe that we've got to innovate to be successful, then we're not being obedient. We're putting our faith and trust in our own cleverness, not in the God who calls us to be obedient. So here's what I I want you to know. If you choose obedience, and by the way, being obedient does not mean just doing what you've always done or what you've heard we've always done. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do just like the Apostle Paul who had the King James Version in his back pocket. I'm going to do just like that. Well, are we really being obedient to God or are we just being obedient to what we think pleases God? Sometimes being obedient looks like doing the same thing we've always done. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, If you're obedient, you're a servant. You just do your job. You do what God calls you to do. So if we're being obedient... Sometimes that may lead to being clever. That may lead to being innovative. That may lead to being adventurous. Next week when we have guests here, and and you may not know them, and obedience may look like you taking a step over and saying, here, come sit with me, stranger. You know, God really want me to do that? God just wants me to show up and sit here, doesn't he? Well, you think about that for a while. But you be obedient, and it may look like a change. It may look like something different. There's all sorts of ways that, that, that we have been called to obedience uh, in ways that, 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 we, that we would think 
uh, are, are the ordinary way of doing things. But we've learned that to be obedient to God, this is what we have to do. Churches are, are dealing with this all the time right now because we find ourselves more and more in a culture that doesn't, as a default, support the way that we do church. Now, just because the society that we live in could be getting a little more hostile to the faith doesn't mean that we're lacking somehow in innovation or cleverness or being more um, dynamic or something like that. We have brothers and sisters around the world who come together and they worship in places where it's not respected at all to be obedient to Christ. And yet, they remain obedient. They remain obedient. Now, sometimes they have to get clever about that. They have to come together for meetings that are not necessarily church, but they're coming together to encourage one another, and they have to register with their local government. Is that biblical? Obedience is what's biblical. They're not trying to be duplicitous. They're not trying to be sneaky. They're doing what they have to do to be obedient. So sometimes being obedient will lead you to these things. And sometimes it doesn't. But you can always choose obedience. So if you have that choice, choose obedience. And and that way you never get it wrong. When the pressure comes on us and we think, you know what, we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to figure out how to be more fancy. We've got to figure out how to, how to work harder. We've got to figure out how to be more faithful. We've got to teach more people, say more things, uh, do more things. Uh, we need to get our word out more. We need to get more and more signs. And, and we need to do everything that we can do to get this word out there to people. Yeah, but have we been obedient? If you're obedient, God will lead you to what you need to do. So focus on obedience. That's what unworthy servants do. The unworthy servant doesn't have to worry, you know, did I, did, I, did I do enough garden work? Did I make the meal right? Am I wearing my apron just so? No, you just do the work that you're told to do. Simply doing as we are told. You know, we could spend, we could honestly spend more time thinking about this. It's like, what does Jesus call us to? And when you really listen to Jesus, you, you, you find out that, that he doesn't just want us to follow the rules. He wants us to understand the will of the Father. And then we don't need rules, because what we do, we do out of love. You remember that scene where Jesus tells his uh, uh, disciples, he says, that, 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 he says I, you know, these, these people are hungry. And he says, yeah, you go feed them. How are we supposed to do this? You know, it's impossible. It's impractical. He says, you feed them. Well, they're obedient. And because they're obedient, they find the kid that's got the basket, uh, 5,000 are fed. What's really interesting is after they leave, they've got leftovers. They have a dozen baskets of bread. And Jesus wants to warn them not to get all legalistic and focus on the bread, but focus on the one who gives the bread He says, you need to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. That's like he's saying, you need to watch out. There's a Pharisee virus going around, and I don't want you guys to catch it. 
And then they start talking to themselves. What's he saying? He's upset because there's no bread. No, no, no. That's trying to be clever. That's worrying. That's wondering about how risky we've been or whether we've done enough. If they would just listen to him and do as they were told, they'd be able to do everything out of love for him. Same with us. When we serve, let's serve not concerned about our success, not concerned about affirmation, not concerned about recognition. You know, we can say that, but I love this new word that's been invented. You can humble brag. Yeah, y'all understand this, humble brag? I think, I, I, you know, you, you, you talk about how, oh, well, you know, it really wasn't that hard for me to do this. And, you know, and I'm, I mean, here, here's humble brag. I just want you all to know that I've done the best sermon I can after being sick all week. But, you know, that's okay. I'm just doing the best I can, you know. And so that's humble bragging. You know, you're wanting everybody to know how much you've done so that you can get some recognition. And I do want you to know I really did work hard on this sermon, even though I wasn't seeing it. No, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, uh, and can I have an amen? But the, the thing is, in this day and age, it becomes so important for us to get likes and stars. Do you remember when it was a big deal, how many followers you had on social media? I don't track that anymore. I don't think anybody does. You know, I was just amazed that I had 800 so-called friends. And, uh, you know, and then everybody just kind of peeked out. But everything has to be liked. Be sure and like this. Be sure and like this. I get the marketing aspects of social media. It's good for that. But all that liking isn't helping. All that liking is not doing anything, you know. Um, had everybody, you know, pouring ice, buckets of ice water on their heads, and we still don't have a cure for ALS. I mean, what's going on here? Uh, and then stars. That's the other thing, too. Our whole economy, our whole economy has become like a Dr. Seuss book that everybody gets these stars of recognition. I'm going to give the Uber driver five stars. He'll give me five stars as a passenger. Since when do you get stars for being a passenger? You know? I mean, all you've got to do is go there, sit down, not be a jerk, and, you know, give a tip, I guess. I don't even know how Uber works. But the thing is now, it's a battle. You give me one star, I'll give you one star. You give me a dislike, I'll give you a dislike. We are so concerned about that. Sometimes it catches us that even in our ministry here, we wonder, well, how are we playing in the polls? You know, what are people saying out there? Are they dropping by and leaving? I love a good review on our website. And I hate it when people look like jerks on our website. But you know what? That doesn't really matter. We've got to be obedient, and you can't be concerned about the affirmation and the recognition. Don't even try to bring it in. Don't even try to sneak it in. It's like, well, yeah, but you've got to pay a little bit of attention. No, you don't, because that's how the poison gets in. It's none of our business what anyone thinks. Let us focus on pleasing God and being obedient to him. You see this in Scripture, too. In Mark 9, I love this. I love this moment. Mark 9 is one of the, it's one of the miracles of Jesus that we don't ever stop and think about because we, don't, we can't compare it to anything. You know, Jesus shows up at a wedding. They run out of wine. Get me some jugs of water. Presto, wine. You know, it's like, all right. Uh, they, uh, you know, here's a man who's blind, wipe a little mud on his eyes, opens his eyes, he can see. 
uh, you know, there, there's things like that. It's like, uh, you got to pay your taxes. This one's, this one's timely. You got to pay your taxes, Jesus. Go get me a fish, a coin. You know, we can relate to all that. In Mark 9, Jesus takes three of his disciples up to the mountain. They think they're going up for a mountaintop prayer retreat. The glory of God transforms Jesus and they can see him in his resurrected glory before the resurrection. We're not really sure what to do with that. And I don't think those three knew what to do with it either. In fact, that's when you have the first church business meeting is on that mountain. Because you've got the glory of God breaking out and Peter, James, and John say, you know, it's a good thing that we're here. Let's start a building program. They did. They did. Read it for yourself. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Elijah and Moses. I mean, they've got, they've got architectural sketches up. They're probably already starting to get into the, uh, you know, uh, arguments about the paint color at that point. Yeah. And God breaks in and says, this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, just calm down. Don't worry about building any tabernacles. They won't last anyway. Just listen to him and pay attention to the transfigured glory. Listen to the son. Be obedient. Be obedient. I want to encourage us with this because not to say that we, and again, you'll miss the sermon entirely if the takeaway from this sermon is we need to stop doing building programs, we need to stop having websites, we need to stop advertising, we need to stop all that. No, now we're just being legalistic in a different direction. What we need to do is be obedient and ask God, well, God, what do you want us to involve ourselves in? What are you doing? Find out where God is ahead of us and follow. We're just unworthy servants doing our duty. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would call us into your service, that you would, uh, that you would teach us how to pay attention and listen. Let us be still and know that you are God. For unlike the false gods, you... We know that you speak. We know that you care. We know that you move. We know that you act. We know that you can take action. And Father, we don't want to be neglecting that and running out ahead of you, but we want to be right there beside you, right there, right there behind you, right there following in your wake as you are doing things. And Father, we will be content to simply be servants. No, we're not worthy. We've been made worthy by your grace we've been brought in by your mercy and father help us to experience the relief and the satisfaction of knowing that if we will simply be obedient that will please you and we can take the pressure off ourselves trying to do it all Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who needs to respond in obedience, that you will give them the courage to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. started out this sermon talking about baptisms. Baptism is not a work of righteousness, okay? I want to make that very clear. Some people are worried about it. It's like, if I get baptized, then I'm denying God's grace. No, 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 not at all. It doesn't work that way. And if you're concerned about that, I understand why you would be concerned about that. It's because baptism is not something that you do. Baptism is something that is done to you. God saves you. 
through baptism. God saves you through Christ. What we do in a baptism is we show up. We are obedient. In fact, it's the first, in a life of obedience, that's step one. That's step one. is just to humble ourselves in such a way. And that's why baptism is going under the water and being submerged. Because we're surrendering and giving him the control. So, if that's your need, if you need to claim again that decision that you made, whatever it may be, we're going to have shepherds right here. We're going to have shepherds back there in room 100. We just want you to talk about it today and let us know. So let's stand, let's sing, let's encourage one.